0: You're listening to the Horizons Church podcast. Hi,
1: hello, hey.
0: It's always a risk.
1: It is, but we always do the highs and the highs. We do. Always, they always like trail off, <laughs> but it's okay.
0: <laughs> it's become our that our new signature. They, Remember when we used to say "from the
1: womb to the tomb"? Yeah,
0: every episode.
1: And then we kind of forgot, and then I was afraid to go back to it and admit that we missed some episodes. <laughs> In the
0: meantime, we've missed now basically almost a year's worth <laughs> of probably. There will be no catching up at this uh, point. Yeah. It's assumed.
1: They know what they clicked on.
0: Yeah. And they clicked on another thrilling episode of
1: The Creative Commentary.
0: Da na na na. I was like, a it. Little let's, sound do it. let's build yeah, on it. Yeah. That's it. We'll anyway. Workshop it. <laughs> Yes, for those who are listening, you know what this episode is about, and it's not great. I mean, it is great. It's going to be a good episode, I think, but I mean, it's about the book of Lamentations. Right, right. So, I mean, you right. tell me. What that's about. Yeah, what that... It's, without any further ado, <laughs> Lamentations is a very aptly named book that's all about, you guessed it, lament yeah. <laughs> yeah, lamentations is a series of essentially five poems that were written as a memorial to the fall of jerusalem Ooh. which was finally destroyed in 586 bc by the babylonians which is a very very depressing dark and dare i say difficult to put it lightly all of
1: the alliterative words
0: <laughs> time yes For the people of God. So, naturally, it's called Lamentations. You could probably guess it's one of the darkest books. No doubt. In the Bible. It is a book that stares right in the face of suffering and sorrow without flinching. There are actually some who might call this a book of protest poems.
1: Oh, man. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. That's so... I love it. Counterculture yeah. poems and...
0: Yeah. Oh, it's hilarious. Would not expect that. And especially when you're talking about scripture and God. But that is one of the terms that some scholars would use. And uh,
1: This is the 70s. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) I bet that music was really angsty, too.
0: Oh, yes. When we say protest poems, here's what we're getting at. Not only does the unnamed author, though it's popularly suspected to be Jeremiah the prophet. Okay. We don't know for sure. Not only does the author through these poems give vent to his pain and despair, he basically brings a form of protest before God which is to say things like, why do you forget us forever? Oh my word. Why do you forsake us for so many days? Those are actually phrases that we find in some of these poems. It sounds like he's saying to God, essentially, where are you and why aren't you doing something about...
1: not the most unfamiliar sentiment. Yeah,
0: those are the kind of statements that tend to make us uncomfortable in certain, particularly American contexts of the church. Like, we're kind of uncomfortable, I think. Yeah, like the modern evangelical... Yeah, those kind of,
1: quote-unquote, protests. It's very confrontational.
0: Yeah, even though i think at the end you'd find that they're not accusing necessarily but there is definitely this note of where are you
1: and i think there's a place doing? for that honesty
0: yeah and obviously i mean i think
1: and this kind of goes to show
0: place of lamentations and of course lament psalms yeah. in the scripture show that but i mean that is the whole setting for the whole book all five poems basically are depressing and sad and there's really not any hope <laughs> I mean, there's there's some breathing space in the third poem, okay. which is what most people go to. They go to Lamentations 3.23, where it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. I think I'm remembering that right.
1: Leave it to us um, to find the one but silver that's, lining.
0: Yeah, like that's in the middle, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. um, that's basically all there is for hope in the book, which is unusual for Scripture, actually. Like, yeah, most books are not mm-hmm. as bleak and dark as Lamentations is, but here we are.
1: Not since Judges.
0: Yes, Judges was bleak. Yeah. And just describing the realities of Wolf. Yeah, that was a good catch. Yeah, because yeah. Judges is really, really dark and bleak. So, Lamentations. Yeah. Structurally and thematically, the book deals primarily with God's divine wrath and anger as executed through the Babylonians. And it deals with the fallout of human suffering. I think if you were going to have to encapsulate it into themes, that's what the author is really getting at in his poetry. Now, structurally, this book is really, really interesting. Okay. Um, Because through the actual form of the poems, you can make a very compelling argument that the author is demonstrating the realities of dealing with human suffering and here's what i mean okay? okay here's how he demonstrates this structurally in the actual form of the poetry poems one two three and four the first four poems of the five are acrostic poems
1: what what did you say to me acrostic poems you want to rephrase that as any other word than acrostic nope acrostic <laughs> poem what are you doing to me what is i'm going to lament myself
0: Uh, here's what that means. Okay. There are 22 verses in each of these poems with the exception of poem three, which has 66. We're going to get to that in a minute. Okay. 22 verses in each of these poems and each verse starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So for instance, Lamentations 1 verse 1, that begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph. Verse 2 begins with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet,
1: bet. Oh, that's nice.
0: Yeah, isn't that (laughs) nice? And so on for all 22 verses, descending through the whole Hebrew alphabet. Like I said, the exception is poem three, which has 66 verses, but it still follows the acrostic pattern. So, rather than just getting one verse for each letter, you get three verses. So, Lamentations three, verses one through three, each start with the Aleph. The major exception to these first four poems is, well, the only poem that's left, poem five, which we're going to get to in a minute. Okay. Because... The first thing to note, you have this very orderly structure in this acrostic poetry, right? right? yeah. There's this sense of boundary, and some Bible scholars suggest, and I, I think this is very compelling, they suggest that through this structure, even, the author is conveying a sense of grasping for order and meaning, even in the midst of despair, and that the author is, in effect, saying, through the form of the poetry, I have expressed and exhausted my grief from A to Z. I've laid... All of it out.
1: I think that's really fair, mm-hmm. honestly, because I think I think it's a good take on maybe why we see it that way. Because I think, uh, at least in my own personal life and in others, we try to clamor for control when we feel like we have none. Yeah that's definitely something i've seen in my own life whether that ends up being helpful or not i don't know i think we see that in creative pursuits a lot like what lead us to make certain decisions and this it, this is a creative pursuit the, yeah the, what they've put into structuring it this way yeah which you know it can be helpful it can, yeah it's interesting it is so you have this
0: sense of trying to reach for order or some sense of meaning yeah but by poem five <laughs> the acrostic structure is gone and the poem descends into utter chaos and disorder Do
1: you I think they decided, I don't want to do it for five? I want five to be like this statement? Or do you think it was like a natural fallout if they literally couldn't take it?
0: So you lose a little bit of this, obviously, in the English translation because you're not seeing the, right. the letters here. But I think you can argue pretty compellingly that this is intentional, that he okay. is at the end of the rope, so to speak, and he's damaging
1: like... And he's going to show it.
0: Yeah, because not only does the acrostic structure go away, we're going to get to this again, in okay. a minute, I don't want to spoil it, but that last poem itself is absolutely... Yeah. the bleakest
1: oh, of all the
0: poems and it's communal too like it goes out from the individual level to mm-hmm. it is encapsulating everybody basically in the community it is absolutely chaotic as far as the actual structure of the poetry goes so it seems to be a way he's dealing with the reality of god's divine wrath and the fallout of human suffering yeah so to address those themes mm-hmm. in the case of divine wrath the author never frames it as an arbitrary and volatile anger on God's part. So you know what he's not even saying, you know, oh God, like suddenly you're just angry at us and what the heck, you know, yeah. you know, you having a divine temper tantrum. Oh God! Um, no, as a matter of fact, in poem three, like I said earlier, he recalls the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. That is basically the only word of hope true hope in the book. Right. So, all that to say, the author brings to mind the reality that God is slow to anger and abounding in love, but <laughs> there is anger on God's part over human sin and evil, and God's own people in Jerusalem were guilty of much sin and evil. They had violated God's covenant over and over. They were oppressing one another. I mean, absolutely just treating other human beings atrociously. So, divine wrath, in this case, especially, is it's just the just fulfillment of God's word for Judah's violation of the covenant. Um, so again, it's not volatile. It's not right. it's not this arbitrary thing. God must execute judgment. And the author is lamenting that it had to come to that.
1: Oh, okay. That
0: the people didn't turn and repent. He is lamenting the fact that, okay, well, not only the people are being carried off into exile, but the city's been destroyed and God had to do this to us to wake us up, so to speak.
1: So he has a clear understanding of what is happening and why it's happening.
0: Yes. A very, very clear grasp. In fact- um, Which is
1: why we think it's Jeremiah, right?
0: Yeah. And actually, I think it's in, is it in 2 Kings or 2 Chronicles. Jerusalem fell shortly after King Josiah died. Oh, and ugh. it was said that in the midst of all this, Jeremiah uttered a lament for King Josiah. Um... <gasps> So, that's where you you get some of that linkage. Good enough for me. Yeah. I mean, you can't like, it's like you can't prove it 100%, but you know, (laughs) it's plausible. So, the author is aware of this. You know, he knows, in fact, at one point in the poem, he says, woe to us for we have sinned as the preface for his lament. But when it comes to the fallout of that judgment and the resulting suffering and the hardship that come about because of the Babylonian exile, the lament also begins to sound like protest, Uh, as we noted earlier. And that's because the author is dealing with the reality that even though God's judgment is just and it had to happen as fulfillment of his word, it's still hard. There's still suffering. It's still this great amount of pain they're experiencing. And suffering causes, I think, all of us. Doesn't matter who you are. I think suffering causes all of us to ask uncomfortable and painful questions. Oh, absolutely. And the authors of scripture, though they were writing the divine word of God, God was speaking and communicating through them. The human authors were still human. Yeah. And they still experienced and felt things the same way that we do. Oh, so the author of Lamentations is no different from us.
1: And it's 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 actually still serving a purpose, in effect. That it it's is. Showing us and an even in a sense, offering, I guess, some validation and space to experience some of these feelings ourselves. Yeah. And in, in and on way within a proper context.
0: Exactly. I think that's so key. In fact, the author says in the second poem, look, O Lord, and see, with
1: whom have
0: you dealt like this? Again, though that he knows that the judgment is just, but he still feels and expresses the pain and confusion that come along with that. Like, Lord, when have you ever dealt with a people like this? <laughs> oh, gosh. Like, how bad has it really gotten? And here's the really shocking, if that's the right word to use, part of this book. Okay. The book ends on that kind of note.
1: <laughs> okay. It does not
0: end on a redemptive note. Right. There is no final word of encouragement. The book literally ends with these words. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us.
1: Oh, man. Period.
0: That's it. Like, what the heck, man? <laughs> like, what? you can't end there. That's not how Bible books are supposed to end. You know, you're supposed to end with a final note of hope, and, you know, redemption is on the horizon, yeah. but that is not what the author of Lamentations does. He is going to sit. And simply, he's going to kind of leave us on this cliff of, here's the reality. Yeah, to kind of sit in that
1: despair. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, this is a little off track. This is something we've talked about before in the series. Yeah. About, especially even films and a couple books of the Bible, leaving you to sit in this discomfort. Yeah. And this unsettling lack of closure. But Mm -hmm. it's very intentional in a way that it it forces you to look at certain things and ask certain questions that are necessary. Yeah. In
0: fact, as bleak as the ending of this book is, the only other book I, can think of right now that has an ending even close perhaps besides as you very astutely noted <laughs> earlier the book of judges the close of the Gospel of Mark actually mm-hmm. so if you read the Gospel of Mark in your Bible right now the one that's probably sitting on your coffee table um, you'll notice you go to mark 16 hopefully what you'll find is there are these big brackets. When you get down to the end of the chapter that say verses 9 through 20 were not included in some of the earliest manuscripts. And verses 9 through 20 include kind of um, Mark's rendition of the Great Commission, comfort from Christ, that kind of stuff. But in the earliest manuscripts, the Gospel of Mark ends on verse 8, which just ends with the women at the empty tomb meeting an angel and then fleeing and trembling in astonishment and not saying anything to anyone Because they were afraid.
1: Well, at least it's not the last gospel in, <laughs> yeah. in the yeah. order, you know? Have
0: you, uh, have you heard that? I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Emily Krauss. Someone, or maybe it was somewhere on the internet. Who knows? But um, <laughs> this is really off track and is very niche it. for our listeners. But... You know the movie The Room with starring Tommy oh, Wiseau. Oh, you know, I know. Um, there's that meme where, you know, he comes out into the roof and he's, you know, you know, I saying, did I did not hit, hit her. It's not true. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> well, there's a meme that goes when you finish reading the Gospel of Matthew. Oh, hi, Mark. Because <laughs> 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 Mark is the next Gospel. Oh, anyway, that man. just, man, we talk about some of the weirdest, most random stuff on it's this podcast. Worth it. So here we are. So thankfully, Lamentations is not the bookend of all scripture. <laughs> Um, You know, the whole canon of the Bible does not end on that note of, you know, unless you're exceedingly angry with us forever. But as we've been talking about, it does play an important role in teaching us how to lament. And I think in kind of a weird, perhaps unexpected roundabout way, I think it can provide encouragement even Mm. in that bleak ending because it's reflective of the reality that we often feel in the midst of our own suffering, wondering, you know, like, well, God, have you rejected us? I think we feel that from time to time.
1: Yeah, I feel like we ask some of these same questions.
0: Yeah, and I think this kind of a book gives a space to say, okay, yeah, I'm not alone with this. Someone before me, even an author of the divine scriptures has felt this reality. So that's Lamentations, and it has some pretty neat parallels in what i was telling ethan earlier before we started recording is probably now actually my i'm willing to say favorite movie oh man of all time and what is that
1: ethan that movie is first reformed mm. sound like a news anchor <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh first reformed it's a very aptly named movie that is all about you guessed it for... that doesn't work <laughs> that one didn't work uh, but since you laughed at my terribly scripted joke i'll continue what it is, in fact, is a movie, it's like you said, you and I both dearly love this film. Yes. And it's about essentially the the troubled minister of, in in the film, they would somewhat derisively call it a tourist church, Mm -hmm. which is like, oh, poor guy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But the reason is, okay, it's the site of some sort of like historic significance. Don't Mm -hmm. ask me to remember that. It's not my niche. (laughs) But it's like one that pretty much no one attends. And no one is in this church. Like, like, it's it's pitiful. (laughs) It's sad. But we're introduced to Reverend, I guess, Reverend, right? Mm -hmm. Reverend Ernst. Polar, played by Ethan Hawke. Shout out to the other Ethan. Yeah. The show. the show. Oh, I wish he was. I guess in... Would it be a parsonage? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I guess you could call it that, yeah. Anyway, wherever he is, this homey little location, he's embarking on this year-long practice of journaling. Mm-hmm. And it's very structured and has its own rules, the way he's going about this, which honestly is not unlike the very careful and intentional structure we discussed in Lamentations. like yeah. there, There's a purpose and a scheme to it that is guiding the way it's written. Yeah. Which is very cool. It is. I wish I had the discipline to do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in light of that, I actually think it's somewhat responsible to suggest he's doing it for similar reasons. Mm-hmm. And I this is not something I considered until this podcast, which is, it's fun, to essentially to find structure and order in a time of his life where his body and, uh, frankly, his health mm-hmm. is suffering almost as much as his church. Yeah, which, yeah. That's, that's a, a great observation. It's like that's a dark place for a minister. It is. But also the perfect setup. Yeah. So he's in this what I'm gonna call like a passively volatile state. Mm-hmm. He's not off the edge, but the table's set. Yeah. And it's at this point where a congregant, Mary. When I say a congregant, it's like fifteen percent of his entire congregation. <laughs> he's got like what, ten
0: people sitting at maybe. Best. <laughs>
1: So she comes up to him after the service and asks him to speak with her husband, who has become so gripped with these doom-laden environmental concerns that it's taken him to basically a point of existentialism.
0: He is like full-blown Nietzsche here.
1: Full-blown. I mean, to the point he is actually fighting with a moral complex— and feeling that it is almost wrong, uh, the idea of bringing a child into this world, which is inconvenient because Mary's pregnant. Oh, boy. That has got to be the most uncomfortable conversation. How do you even bring that up? Like, uh, honey, the ice caps are melting. How do you feel about abortion? That doesn't work. (laughs) And she's obviously not having it. She's not on board with this. So, I mean, she's like, hey, pastor, please talk to him. He's losing it. (laughs) I'm paraphrasing. (laughs) <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's rough, right? Yeah. So, but he agrees to it. And he talks to this man uh, whose name I can't remember, so sorry. He talks to him at length. Mm-hmm. In a subtle way, it kind of backfires. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think there's meaning and value to this and he's very understanding when he goes to speak to this man. But now, instead of like just offering him some solace, Reverend Toller is now exposed to these concerns that he's kind of facing and grappling with for the first time. Yeah. But for him, instead of resulting in existentialism, he's taking it with like a spiritual bent mm-hmm. kind of like a we have some sort of responsibility like a genesis 128 dominion over the earth level responsibility yeah or a mm-hmm. part to play mm-hmm. so now we have two people <laughs> grappling <laughs> over these enormous concerns that we could hardly make a dent in yes um, not exactly what he thought he was going to do mm-hmm. but it got me thinking maybe the reason he becomes so fixated on this particular form of decline is because it's outside himself, like mm. his own health and his yeah. own church in the way that like we, like we talked about earlier, we sometimes want to clamor for control. Yeah. It's kind of a distraction or a balm to something. It's a reaction mm-hmm. in the way that many things like uh, movements of art are reactions to what come before. There's like yeah. an unsettledness and, and almost like a rebelling to that. And so uh, it's kind of a protest. Yeah. Protest. Yeah. Oh, no. So I don't, I don't know if there's like a, a lot to be found in that, but I kind of think maybe that plays a part into why he fixates on Mm -hmm. it to something yeah it's almost so big he can excuse himself from Mm -hmm. like could he stop drinking yeah he could (laughs) could he maybe do something about his church maybe Mm -hmm. but this is like so big it almost feels like a safe kind of despair yeah Mm Hmm. i don't even know if that's real but
0: no i think that's a really good observation i don't even wonder if maybe you know we can't tell but if the author of lamentations isn't dealing with something sort of to that degree because i mean just like Reverend Ernst Toller is dealing not only with the suffering and destruction of his own body yeah. and his local church, he's thinking on a global scale now, so to speak. For the other lamentations, the destruction of Jerusalem was the, the same kind of cataclysmic event. Re- How okay. do you deal with that? You know? Yeah, it's so and, big. Yeah, and it's just, that's a great observation, though. Yeah. Know? Another unexpected oh. thematic connection. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, as far as the plot is concerned, aside from this significant point where it kind of trips a switch in him, mm-hmm. the rest of the world is moving on because the whole film is subtly building towards this kind of commemorative celebration I guess because of the historic nature of this site.
0: Yeah I think they called it was like the reconsecration it was oh, like okay. the
1: 250th anniversary yeah, of the church. Sort of like Centennialish yeah I think 250 makes more sense yeah <laughs> <laughs> just I just believe what you say <laughs> you, have a, you, have, you have an ability to remember these specific details I'm like uh it's commemorative <laughs> celebration so you would think this is something to ramp up to this is their back to church Sunday mm, good but, analogy <laughs> thank you this that's for our listeners <laughs> uh, but instead he is putting will God forgive us on the church marquee As, <laughs> As a point to what we talked about before in God's wrath. like He has become very preoccupied by this. That's typically not a seeker-friendly sentiment to put in the front of your church. No. Hey, but it's arresting, right? (laughs) Rebellion poems got me hooked. (laughs) (laughs) But to his credit, it is coming from a very honest place. Mm -hmm. He's not trying to like stir something up unjustly. He's really kind of, for the first time, dipping his toe in the water of, can I make a difference? Mm -hmm. Can I start a dialogue? Yeah. And I think he's implicitly asking some of the very same questions we ask and that we see in lamentations. Yeah. Is there room for protest? What about respectful protest? And how far can you take that? And ultimately, how far is too far? Yeah. It is something that I think, even though we don't experience it in the same context, much like Lamentations, often we don't experience lamenting in the same context of Jerusalem being destroyed. Yeah. There is an undeniable point of sameness yes. in the grief, mm-hmm. I guess. Okay, to that point, right? It's not all about pregnancy and abortion. And it's not even all about environmentalism. It's, that's no. not the point of the film at all. I think, mm-hmm. in a weird way, you could replace these issues with anything in your life. Absolutely, that, yeah. That takes you to that point. Because... It's like a character study. Mm -hmm. In essence, this is the troubled minister in the dark night of the soul. Yeah. And how he grapples with it. Like, this is his lament.
0: Yeah. And it's so expertly told. It really really is. Oh boy. Yeah. And don't want to spoil it at no, all because right. if I may say you just you need to watch this movie. It's definitely, I will say this, okay? Because I realize I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm a pastor giving like an unequivocal, you know, full-hearted recommendation of this movie and even saying something like this is like my favorite movie ever. Yeah. Do not expect a nice Christian movie with this. Like what I mean like is like what Ethan was saying like this is yeah. full of lament, it's full of darkness. Exactly.
1: Like lamentations is not what you expect. It is not the stereotypical happy ending that pats you on the back.
0: Right. But exactly. actually
1: I don't actually want that to say much about the film. I'm no. not actually drawing a direct parallel because I think whether you approach this film with a negative outlook or a positive yep. outlook, you will still be surprised. Yeah. You will not quite know what's about to happen until it happens and then you'll be grappling with that yourself.
0: Yeah, and it's just great. And as a matter of fact to highlight the fact that this is intentional this wasn't just like some guy saying oh i'm going to make a movie that deals with these themes and that'll yeah. be great and i'm going to reach a niche audience um <laughs> Paul Schrader, the writer and director, yes. um, was raised in a very—that's right, isn't it? Strict. I don't know if "strict" is the word I want to use, but a straight laced. Yeah, straight laced Christian home wasn't allowed to watch movies growing up. Can't remember when it was when he first actually like first watched a movie. Right. But he went to Calvin College. I think is where he went. Oh, I'm remembering correctly, which is a religious school. Yeah, Calvin. You know, I <laughs> like, got yeah. That it is a. <laughs> Christian institution. Again, I'm really foggy on these details for some reason, but all that to say, I mean, this movie is very intentional. Yeah. It is so well-crafted.
1: Very seldom do I look at a movie that grapples with spiritual content and walk away impressed. Yeah. But this doesn't come at you with an agenda to push. Yeah. From either side of the argument, it doesn't come to push that agenda. And like you said, there is so much intentionality about that. Yeah. And I think huge credit to a skilled director. Like the same way we see Martin Scorsese directing Silence. Yeah, it's a great example. There's a lot of careful intentionality about what it presents. And something infamously, well, infamous between us that Paul Schrader said about these kinds of films that touch the spiritual realm is that you, you shouldn't be forcing people down a road to tell them what to feel. Forcing their... I, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna butcher the quote if I try. I think I mentioned that in the article. We have we have an article on this on, on yeah, resources. Yeah, that's right. If but you want to get into that, yeah, yeah. You know, if you want to, I like it.
0: <laughs> yes, it was well done. You just <laughs> go to horizonsresources.net and search first performed, and you'll
1: you'll but, find it. Like you said, it was very a careful choice mm-hmm. um, to do that, and I think that shows so much restraint and yeah. skill, and I think it makes it more accessible and easy to appreciate. Yeah, to the point, it was actually uh Academy Award nomination. It was. Yeah. That yeah. wasn't a real sentence, but you understood. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: I did. Yeah. And much like the Book of Lamentations, it's Oh mm, man. right up there.
1: So. That's going to be my next read, actually. Yeah? I'm going to that next.
0: Lamentations? Yes. Prepare your heart.
1: I'm ready. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, well, that concludes this episode of the Creative Commentary. Yeah. If you have any questions or want a dialogue, listen. If you want to talk about this movie uh, or the will. Book of Lamentations...
1: We'll talk about yeah,
0: it. Yeah, hours. We'll do it for hours. So send your questions to podcast at horizonschurch.net. Interact with us on social media. And as always, thank you for listening. And we'll catch you next time.